Well, today we are finishing our series of messages on 50 Days of Unleashing Hope. And um, my prayer has been through this whole series that each and every one of us have experienced um, hope in new ways, that your hope quotient literally has been raised to a, a different level, that you recognize that uh, people that are discouraged and down are never people that can function well in life, but God has promised that we can have hope and put our hope and our trust in Him. So I was trying to think of how to finish this uh, series, kind of wrap things up. And um, the book uh, on this chapter that we're talking about this week, by the way, don't forget you still have your small groups uh, the next week or two to finish up, but uh, the book has a really good chapter on playing great defense. Uh, Ray Johnston has some really good words to say how that we are not supposed to get stuck in our anxiety or looking backwards or about our guilt and past failures, and there's always hope that God has redeemed us. So that's all really good material, so I won't go over that again. But as I was praying and thinking about this, I thought the one chapter that speaks to me most about hope in the entire Bible is 1 Peter chapter 1. In that chapter, uh, Peter uses the word hope about four or five times, and he does it in such a way that gives us uh, some real meat to chew on. So this morning, I want to share with you from 1 Peter 1 and give you the reason that you can hope for the grace that is yet to come. That's one of Peter's phrases. And I trust that as you leave today, you will have embraced hope in a brand new way. So um, let's open our Bibles, if you have your Bibles with you, to 1 Peter. Uh, if you have your iPads, your iPhones, your smartphones, your dumb phones, whatever you have that has the text on it, uh, pull those out. Also, it's in your sermon notes. It's on the screen. The Word of God, we want to be all around you. And this is my cue to say to everybody, what? Read your Bibles, right? Okay? Read your Bibles. God has something great to say to you in His Word. It's a phenomenal book. It's a remarkable book. It's a book like no other. It is the inspired Word of God. It is God-breathed. It is the Word of God. It is the Bible. It is your source, your roadmap, your way to find Jesus. So, read your Bibles. So, we're looking this morning at uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll skip through the chapter and look at several verses, but I'd like to begin by reading verses three through five. This is the Word of God for the people of God, Hope Covenant Church. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in that last time. Now, what's wonderful about this passage is, passage is it links the concept of hope to the concept of the second coming of Jesus Christ. In fact, in most of the passages in the Bible where it uses the word hope, it's used in conjunction with that glorious day, the consummation of all things. Some people talk about Armageddon, they talk about the tribulation, they talk about all of these things, but the consummation of all things will be what the Bible says when Jesus Christ 
breaks through the eastern sky, and he comes again to receive unto himself those who love him and serve him. You might be alive when that happens, or you might have died, and so he will resurrect your bones and your ashes and everything with a new spirit. It'll be a wonderful time, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he is talking about hope in conjunction with looking forward. Remember that hope in conjunction with looking forward. We get discouraged when we spend too much time looking backwards. But God says, I want you to have hope because there's something to look forward to that you can't even imagine. It's the grace of God that He wants to give you, and He wants to give you a a measure of it that you can't even fully understand today. So we want to look forward. That's how we have hope rather than looking back. Now, in this passage, it talks about new life in Christ, and it talks about salvation. Those two words I'll talk about the same concept, and let me explain that briefly for you. Those of you who are new to the the Bible or new to Christianity, when you hear the word new birth, new life in Christ, born again, saved, redeemed, all of these phrases are talking about the same thing, and it's this. When Jesus Christ takes up residence in your life as your Lord and Savior, okay? When Jesus Christ, by His Spirit, takes up residence in your life, as your Lord and Savior. The way that this new birth takes place, the way that the salvation takes place, is what is called the great exchange. And the great exchange is this. So, in your, this one hand, everything that you are is represented in this hand. Uh, your pain, your sin, your brokenness, your fears, all of those things that drag you down, that discourage you, that keep you from having hope, all of those things are right here in this hand. The great exchange is this. Jesus Christ represents eternal life, redemption, forgiveness, grace, a life of substance. So here's Jesus, here's your broken life, and the great exchange is this. You give Jesus everything that you have, and He gives you everything that he has. And then Jesus takes your brokenness and your sin, and he dies for them on the cross, and that life, that old life, has been redeemed. The Bible says, therefore, if any one, any man or woman is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old is dead, the new has come. That's the great exchange. So when it talks about this new birth, this salvation, this redemption, that's all talking about the same thing. You say, well, Pastor Dwayne, how does that work? I mean, how do you actually gain that? I mean, do you have to work really hard? Do you have to be really good? No, the Bible does not say, behave on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's a matter of saying, I believe that Jesus died for my sins that He rose again. I believe that He wants to be my Savior and my Lord, and I believe that He wants to give me life for eternity. Not just life now, we have that in abundance, but life for eternity. That's new life in Jesus Christ. That's salvation. And you know what Peter calls this? He calls it this great salvation, this amazing salvation, this incredible salvation. To think for a moment that all of my past can be forgiven, and that my future is secure, being with God in heaven for all eternity. To think, that is amazing. That is this great salvation. So from that first passage, we move on to this, a new concept that's really remarkable. And I want to read that to you in 1 Peter 13 through 16. Okay, listen to especially the first phrase. Therefore, with minds that are alert, that means wide awake and fully sober, set your hope 
okay? The word set there means to settle in, to have a firm foundation, to lock yourself in. In football, we used to say you have to get down in a position where you're fully locked in. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in His coming. So you settle down into this hope that Jesus Christ has this grace that He'll reveal to you someday that when Jesus Christ returns, the hope, the grace that you're feeling now, it'll be even greater when He returns. Settle down into that hope. Now listen to what He goes on. Do, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. So there's two concepts here that we want to look at today. The first one is to settle down into, get settled down into the fact that this hope is something that you will experience the grace of God in the future and something that you're experiencing right now. Those of you who are Christ followers, those of you who are born again, I explained that, you are saved, you are uh, experiencing new life in Christ, you know what it means to be, have grace in your life. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is God lavishing on you love and mercy and forgiveness when you don't deserve it. That's grace. And that grace is something that we experience as Christ followers. But here's what Peter is saying. He says, in the future when Christ returns, there is such an inheritance of grace that is so great and so profound that when you get to that point, when Jesus Christ returns, you will have this grace that you can't even begin to imagine. As beautiful and as wonderful as it is, as it is now, that grace one day you will imagine in its fullness. Isn't that beautiful? To hope fully in the grace that is yet to come. Now, some of you are saying, you know what? I would love that. That sounds good. But I am firmly entrenched in what we call the kingdom of man. I am fully entrenched in this big blue rock. <laughs> I am, my feet are solid on this planet, and this is everything I experience and everything I know. Here's the good news. God says, you live fully on this planet, but you can ex still experience the grace of God. So I, I found a... Um, uh, a, a title of a little story. It's called The Paradox of Our Time. Now, I couldn't find an author for it. The author is either anonymous or George Carlin, the comedian. I prefer to think it's anonymous. Uh, this is called The Paradox of Our Time. And for those of you who are saying, you know, I want this great salvation. I want to experience this, but mm, I'm so locked into this world, I don't know what to do. This is what the author of The Paradox of Our Time says. The Paradox of Our Time in History is that we have taller buildings but shorter tempers, wider freeways but narrower viewpoints. We spend more time but have less. We buy more but enjoy it less. We have bigger houses and smaller families, more conveniences but less time. We have more degrees but less sense, more knowledge but less judgment. More experts, but more problems. More medicine, but less wellness. We drink too much, smoke too much, spend too recklessly, laugh too little, drive too fast, get too angry too quickly, stay up too late, get up too tired, read too little of God's Word, watch TV too much, fast too rarely, give too little, and pray too seldom. We have multiplied our possessions but reduced our values. We talk too much, love too seldom, and hate too often. We've learned how to make a living but not a life. 
We've added years to life, but not life to years. We've been all the way to the moon and back, but have trouble crossing the street to meet the new neighbor. We've conquered outer space, but not inner space. That last phrase really got to me. We've conquered outer space, but not inner space. We have all of these things going for us. Can you imagine what life was like a hundred years ago in the United States? Much more difficult, much more uh, intensive in terms of how much effort you have to put in to make a living and all of those things. Can you imagine what it was like to live like 200 years ago, 300, 1,000, 2,000 years ago? We have it so easy and so good in our life. We have everything before us. Anything you could possibly want, you can get. The outer life is secure. The inner life is still very, very much in doubt. What can we do to change the inner life? Peter, in his book, the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, talks to us about, first of all, embracing this great salvation recognizing that this great salvation is a gift from God and our hope is in that salvation and recognizing also that our hope is in this grace that is yet to come. We need inner space and we need that fixed. The Bible talks about uh, an amazing concept. First Peter 1.10, let me read that for you. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you. Now in this text... He talks about, now again, this salvation that's so amazing, this great salvation, this exchange, we'll exchange our sin for Christ's love, this amazing exchange. He says this is ordained by God. It was purchased by Jesus on the cross and imbued, that's a theological word, imbued to us by the Holy Spirit by faith. Now that word imbued, what that means is it's the same word as if you take a piece of cloth, white cloth, and you dye it right? Some blue dye, you mix it together. Um, that dye, it penetrates every fiber of that cloth, okay? So when it talks about that this salvation is imbued to you by the Holy Spirit, every part of Jesus, every part of His life is placed in you. It's throughout you in every fiber of your life, every part of who you are, the way you think, the way you feel, the way you act, the way you deliver a message, everything in you is imbued, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why this is such a great salvation. Peter says, therefore, and whenever, whenever uh, you see in the Bible the word therefore, you have to ask the question what? What's it there for, okay? What's it there for? He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. In other words, now that you have Christ in you, now that you've experienced this great salvation, live like Him. 1 Peter 1.16, be holy because I am holy. Now, how many of you, when you hear that phrase, and you've heard that Bible verse before, be holy because I am holy, how many of you kind of squirm in your seat? You don't have to raise your hand because I think most of us can, I don't know what that means. I don't, I'm not holy. I come to this church because of that stupid sign out front that says no perfect people allowed, you know, because I'm not holy. Well, here's something that's really amazing. The Bible says you are. The Bible says you are holy. doesn't mean you're perfect. Okay, that doesn't mean perfect. The Bible says you're holy. And Jesus said, be holy because I am holy. In other words, what that means is you are called upon to live the life of Christ, to live his life. Remember back in the 80s and 90s, uh, Michael Jordan? What was the commercial you saw all the time? Remember that? Be like Mike, okay? Well, what Peter is saying, be like Jesus. 
You want to live a life that's worthwhile? You want to live a life that has substance? You want to live a life that's amazing? Be like Jesus. Be like me. Live like me. Now, there's another phrase um, or another translation of that idea of be like me. And it's this. In your coming and going, Jesus would say, be like me. In your buying and selling, be like Jesus. In your sleeping and walking, in your thinking and dreaming, in your words and deeds, in your Facebook posts and texting, in all parts of your life, be like me. Now, that may sound hard, but really, it isn't. It's not a matter of being perfect, doing everything right. The Bible's very clear on that. We do everything wrong, <laughs> and He still loves us. The key here is, I want to be like Jesus. I want to think the thoughts He thinks. I want to love the things He loves. I want to think like Jesus. Now, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament for um, uh, the word holy is gadosh, G-A-D-O-S-H is how it can be spelled in English. And what that means, it de denotes uh, being separate or a part, kind of a sacredness. Um, a gadosh would be something that you take, let's say, a beautiful vase, and it's priceless, and it's beautiful. And that's the kind of thing that you put in a special place, maybe up on your, your, uh, the lentil, or up on the, uh, the, 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 a table, or up above the fireplace or something. And it's only for beautiful flowers, and it's to be looked at. And, and it's not the kind of thing you take out in the backyard and play catch with. It's not something you roll around and let your dog play with. It is set apart for a purpose. Now, here's the good news. Each and every one of you has been set apart for God's purpose. You are holy. You are set apart. God redeemed you for a specific reason, and that reason was to be a light in a dark world. That reason was to proclaim the good news of Jesus by the way you live your life and by the way you speak your words. Remember we did a whole series on this uh, maybe a year ago, how that we are all ambassadors, every one of us. We found that in Galatians. We're ambassadors of Jesus Christ, so we're sent from God to the earth, and the message that we have to deliver is the reconciling love of Jesus Christ. We are called to be ambassadors. You are set apart you were set apart, Gadosh, as something special, something holy, something separate. You were set apart for a, perfect, for a special reason. Now, the Greek word in the New Testament for this same concept, holy, is hagios. And it's a little bit different nuance, but basically the same thing. It means to be blameless or different, to be separated from sin, to be set apart for holiness. That's what Peter was saying. Be holy in all you do. Be like me because you are set apart for a very important and special reason. I talk to a lot of couples about their relationships. And um, recently I talked to a couple and they were struggling with their relationship and they were kind of looking backwards about how that they had failed and they want to do better and they, they now have Christ in their lives and they, they just want to move forward. And the whole idea is that they can choose, instead of to look back, to look forward and say, you know what, I want to live my life like Jesus. And I told the man, I said, for you, that means to cherish your wife. She is hagios. She is holy. She is set apart. She is a princess of the king. She is a child of God. She is beautiful, and she is anointed, and she is a special creation of God, and you need to treat her that way. 
And similarly, gals need to treat their husbands that way. We need to recognize that each of us are holy. We're set apart. We're designed to do something great in life. We're designed to preach the good news of Jesus by the way we live and by the words that we speak. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I want you to, you are set apart. I want you to be like me. That's what it means to be holy, to be hagios. In the Old Testament, the temple, the Old Testament place that they worshiped, the temple was Gadash. The temple was set apart. It was different from other buildings. The Sabbath was set apart. It was holy. Now, when I was growing up, my grandparents uh, had a kind of a legalistic view of the Sabbath, uh, and that was that you weren't supposed to do any work. And that comes out of a tradition, an ancient tradition of the Israelites, where they took the Ten Commandments and they just kind of kept adding more and more laws and rules until you couldn't walk more than three feet on Sunday, a ridiculous way of doing it. And they kind of followed that. It was kind of a legalistic way of it. So they would never go anywhere on Sunday. They would never do anything on Sunday except go to church and sit around and look miserable. You know, that's kind of what their Sunday was about. No, the Sabbath is to be set apart. It's holy. It's to be different. We were talking about this to a group last week. Sabbath for you always should include worship because it's to rest and to honor the Lord. So we set it apart as holy, special, sacred. And so we do something different. For some of you, that may be gardening. That would never be relaxing to me. Some of you may be watching a football game. Others of you sitting around playing a game. But you're doing something different you are, that you're taking that day and setting it apart from the others. Said so this is holy. Similarly, we need to treat each other as hagios, as holy. We need to treat each other as those who are set apart for specific person. We need to treat each other with that kind of love and respect. Peter says it this way in verses 22 and 23. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show, listen to this, you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. You want to be set apart from society? You want to look different from society? You love each other deeply, sincerely from your heart. There are two things that are different about Christianity and all other religions. You know what they are? The first thing is the concept of love your enemy. No other religion has that. The second thing is the concept of forgiveness and grace. These are the things that will set you apart, make you holy, make you, oh, this person, what's about this person? And somebody that you work with might say, you know, what is it about you? You act differently. You're not always cutting corners. You're not always cheating. You're not always telling the dirty jokes. You're setting yourself apart. And you're, you're a good, normal, nice person, but there's something different about you. What is it? And then you can say, listen, you wouldn't say it in these words. You say, I'm an ambassador from God to the earth with the gospel of, of reconciliation. No, you would say, you know why? Because Jesus loves me and I love him, and I love you, and I want to share that good news with everyone. We are to love each other as brothers and sisters, love each other deeply with all your heart. You want to look set apart? You want to look different? You want to look holy? You love your brothers and sisters, and you especially love your enemies. That's what sets you apart as well, and that's what gives you hope. When we live and love with Christ's character, the love of Jesus comes through so clearly not so much by what you say, of course you want to speak, but mostly because of how you live. 
Holiness does not need to be declared. <laughs> Holiness needs to be felt and seen. It needs to be smelled. D.L. Moody said it this way, it is a great deal better to live a holy life than to talk about it. Lighthouses do not ring bells and fire cannons to call attention to their shining. They just shine. When you are set apart, when you are holy, when you are living a life of this great salvation that God has given you and living that out, when you set yourself apart, you are a light, a beacon for people who are lost and broken and lonely. There are so many of you I know that you say, I can't hardly go anywhere without people coming up and you say, you know, what's up with you? That's because you were a light for Jesus Christ. You don't have to say, hey, I'm holy, I'm holy. Nobody would say that. Nobody would listen to you. But you say, listen, Jesus lives in me. I've set apart for a reason. And one of those reasons is I want to love you. I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to love you. I want you to be in my life and I want to be in your life. Holiness is not just meant for the angels or songs or theology, but to be lived out in our daily lives. So here's the good news. Rob Hess, you are holy. Jeff Brooks Dowdy, you are holy. Kelly Hovey, you are holy. Each and every one of you who have said yes to Jesus have embraced this great salvation. You are set apart by God. He places you on the mantle over the fireplace and look at my masterpiece. Look what I've created this beautiful person that's going to carry the love of Jesus into the world. Isn't that amazing? That's extraordinary. That's what gives us hope. That's what gives us hope, that we are called to be his children and to live that life of love. Now, I read earlier in that, uh, in that poem, we've conquered outer space but not inner space. I believe that Peter kind of gives us some very clear direction on how to enhance that inner space. And let me just uh, walk through these with you just real briefly this morning because I want to I wind this up with some real practical things that you can take, up, take with you. There's several things that we need to live this life of great salvation, to live this life of being set apart and not being weird, you know, but being set apart for the kingdom. The first thing we need is a new mindset. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your mind. It all starts up here. Too many people I know are always looking back there. And they say, yeah, you know, I, I want to serve Jesus, but man, my past was so terrible. Or I, I did these bad things. Or, you know, my life was rotten. And even, even this morning, I, I sinned against God. And always looking in the back. Instead of putting your hope in the grace that is in your life now and the grace that is yet to come putting your hope in the grace that is yet to come. We have to be prepared. So the mindset that I would suggest to you is this. Your mindset should always be a reset. And your reset is this. When the enemy says, you know what, you're a rotten Christian. Look at the way that you, what you just did. You're just terrible. You're awful. You, you shouldn't even call yourself a Christian because look, look at you, look at you, what you. When the enemy's constantly saying that, you need to pause and reset. Okay, reset. And here's how you reset. You reset to the hope that you have in the grace of God. Reset. My sins have been redeemed. My sins, all those things from my past are gone. They're washed over by the blood of Jesus. 
The Bible says that my sins, past, present, and future, are redeemed and washed by the blood of Jesus. My life is secure. My hope is in Jesus. My hope is in the grace that I'm experiencing now, and I'm going to look forward. You need to reset that every single day. Sometimes you need to reset that 20 times a day. Instead of always looking back and saying, oh boy, how I messed up, you reset to the grace of God and the hope that you have in the grace of God. So we need a new mindset. The second thing we need is a new goal. A new goal. So I had a, a football coach in high school. He was our varsity football coach. And um, he used to have the same speech every game. You know, he wasn't very creative. Um, uh, he also, you know, taught, uh, you know, philosophy. So go figure. Uh, a football coach that taught philosophy. And uh, so uh, Mr. Madern would uh, get us all, all together. You know, we're all getting ready to be fired up. And he said, boys, he used to say, boys, when you get out there and you need a first down and it's three yards to go for a first down, he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to think about this. One play, one mind, one goal. Okay, just think of the play you're running. Think of all the other 10 teammates around you, 11 of you all together. You all have one mind. You're focusing on one thing and your one goal is those next three yards or those next five yards. You focus on that one. He says, you do that every single time, and you'll be successful. And you know what? It kind of worked. He was a lousy speech giver, but it really worked. When we were focused on one play, with one mind, all of us together, on one goal to get those next three yards. That's what Peter is telling us in 1 Peter 1.13. Set your hope fully, settle down into on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Settle down fully into that grace. That's your goal. That's your goal. That's what you've got to look for. Okay, I know that I messed up in the past. The last play, I didn't do my assignment correctly. But for one play, with one mind, with one goal, we're going to get this done. Christians need to have that reset and that ability to say, no, I am fully settling on. My hope is fully connected to the grace of God that I experience today and the grace of God that I will experience when Jesus Christ returns. Too many people say, I'm depending on doing the right thing. I'm depending on, you know, feeling guilty. I'm depending on this or that or the other. But the Bible's very clear. I've said this before. It doesn't say, behave on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Not on your works. You're not motivated by shame. Not by feeling guilty. But you set your hopes fully on the grace of God that is around you, that great salvation, and the grace of God that Jesus literally is holding for you, inherit, kind of holding and keeping for you until that day when he is revealed. Is that beautiful or what? We used to sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, we set our hopes on a lot of different things, don't we? We set our hopes on the government, and that always fails. We set our hope on our checkbook, and boy, does that run out fast. We set our hope on other people or on situations or an experience, and all of those fail. But remember that great salvation that was promised to you, that hope that you put in the grace of God? He said it will never spoil or fade away. Isn't that a great promise from God? We can't set our hopes on things that will fail, but we set our hope on the grace of God. Our goal, brothers and sisters, is to finish the race 
We need to leave, live, live out that holy hagios, set apart, different life. We need to live out that great salvation that has been given to us by the grace of God. So we need that new goal, and that goal always has to be the grace of God. Not what happened in the past, but the grace of God. And then finally, we need a new identity. 1 Peter 1.15, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Fourteen years ago, come July 1, Sherry and I began our ministry at Hope Covenant Church over in a little strip mall by Floridinos. Just a handful of people, and we were starting out on a journey together, but for me, it was much more than a, a new church, a new parish, a new congregation. For me, it was a, a new start. Because what had happened, and most of you know my story, those from 1994 to 1997, I was embroiled in addictive gambling that ruined, practically ruined my family, ruined our finances, practically ruined my church. It was a terrible, terrible time. And in 1997 to 2000, when I was going through the process of healing, the thing that I constantly said to myself, I, I'm just not worthy of being a pastor again. There's no way I can be a pastor again. I'm going to have to do something else. I'm going to have to find another way to make a living. But constantly, the Father was always saying this, listen, Dwayne, you need to set your goal on something other than behind you. You're not defined by your addictions. You're not defined by your past. You're not defined by your sins. You're defined by the grace of God that is given to you in full measure. You set your hope. You settle down into the hope that you have the grace of God today and the grace of God that will be revealed in Jesus Christ. I thank God every day for a second chance I had back in 2000. I thank God every day for the chance that you gave me to be a pastor again because I am not focused on my past. I am focused on the grace of God that is not only in my life but in my future and my hope is settled on that. We have a new identity. You're no longer Dwayne or Rob or Mike. You're a child of God. You're a Christ follower. You're a child of the King. You're Christ's one, a disciple. You have a new set of standards. You have new understandings. You are set apart. You are hagios. You are holy. You are created for a purpose. You are not defined by your past or your addictions. You are defined by the life in Christ, that great salvation that surrounds you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is dead. The new has come, 2 Corinthians 5.17. You have a new identity. If Christ is in you and you are hagios, holy, set apart and allow Christ to live through you, there should be a family resemblance. You should look like Jesus, right? Back in uh, 2007, uh, my mother passed away, summer of 2007. And of course, uh, our family came from all over the country to be at the memorial service. It was held in San Diego where my mom lived and and um, I, I preached the uh, memorial sermon, and it was, a, it was a wonderful time of celebration. But the thing I remember about that day, one of the things I remember was, um, now my dad had died many years before. My dad died when I was in my early 30s. Uh, he was in, in 1983. And so he'd been gone for a long time. And when I went to seminary, um, many of my family members never saw me again. Because I went to seminary, then you know, I lived in different areas and everything. And I hadn't seen some of my cousins and aunts and uncles for 20 years. And when they came to the memorial service and they looked at me, do you know what they said? They said, whoa, 
You look just like your dad because my dad died about the age I was at that time. You look just like your dad. I mean, man, I can't believe it. Now, my dad was a very handsome, strapping man, so I can, <laughs> I can see why they would make that mistake. But he said, man, you look, you look just like your dad. Well, I have a family resemblance. If you look at our grandchildren, two of them look like their grandma. And, uh, and, 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 and their youngest, Tyler, interestingly, uh, he's in the kids' room. Uh, Tyler looks like our Tyler that was, you know, died when he was 10 years old. And there's this family resemblance all about us. Even more so with the family of God. When you are a child of God, you should bear that resemblance to Jesus. Again, not being perfect, but you are set apart to carry the message of God's reconciling love to the world. You're set apart to love your enemies. You're set apart to love those who are unloved and uncherished. You're set apart to love the family of God. You should bear the family resemblance to Jesus everywhere we go. Some of you have heard the time when Alexander the Great was told about one young man who deserted that worst thing you can do, commit treason, is to desert the army. So he was captured, he was brought back, and Alexander the Great said, I want to talk to that young man. And so the boy comes in, and he's just shaking. He knows he's in for serious trouble. And Alexander the Great says to the young man, he said, what is your name, boy? And he said, well, sir, I hate to say it, but my, my name is the same as yours. It's Alexander. And Alexander the Great looked at him, and he said, then listen to me either change your behavior or change your name. We belong to Jesus. We have this great salvation that is all around us. We have our hope that is built not on something that we have done or achieved. We have our hope built on the grace of God that will one day be revealed in an extraordinary way. We are the children of God. Peter said, be holy as I am holy. He said, be holy in all you do. One of the great translations of that is from the Phillips translation. He says this, be holy in every department of your life. Let me tell you what I think that means. It means living Christ in us and through us so that the world will see his beauty and his love. So Christ, when I wake up, Christ in the shower, Christ around the breakfast table, on the way to work, in the classroom, in the office, in the factory, Christ at lunchtime, during the break, on the way home, at the supper table, Christ while watching TV, while reading emails, while surfing the internet, Christ on the telephone at bedtime while I sleep, Christ in the morning, all over again. Christ in every detail, in every place, in every relationship, in every word, in every thought, in every deed, in my private moments, with my friends, with my enemies, when I am happy, when I am sad. Christ in the good times, Christ in the bad times, in my faith, in my doubts, when I succeed, when I fail. Christ above me, Christ below me, Christ before me, Christ behind me. Christ around me, Christ within me, Christ always and forever, Christ first and last, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Amen. Bow your heads with me, please.
Christ in me, the hope of glory. Father, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It's not built on the kingdoms of this earth. It's not built on our wealth, on our education, on our power, on our strength. But it's built on the fact that we belong to you. We are your children. And we are set apart to live a life, a hagios life, a life that is beautiful and ordained, a life that shines brightly. Father, that is my desire for every one of us. Lord, as we, as we close this series on hope, my prayer has been all week that this hope that is founded in the grace of God and the grace that will yet to come, this hope will be our portion. And we will recognize Christ in us and around us, Christ through us. And we thank you, Father, for the beauty of your Son who lives in our lives. Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, the Son of God, our Savior, our Lord, our friend. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.